There was a time when the world was so young. There had not yet been a sunrise. But even then, there was light. have forests to protect. Dwarfs their mines. Mend their fields of grain. But we Harfoots have each other. For I must now wander this wandering day. We're safe. You have fought long enough, Galadriel. Put up your sword. The enemy is still out there. The question now is where? It is over. You have not seen what I've seen. I have seen my share. You have not seen... ...what I have seen. Darkness will march over the face of the earth. It will be the end, not just of our people, but all peoples. I am sorry, but their time has come. The past is with us all. The past is dead. We either move forward, or we die with it. This could be the beginning of a new era. Good morning, church. Uh, grateful to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Cale. I'm the teaching pastor at the Delaware campus, and uh, we are in week three of the series we've done now for a number of years, our Now Playing series, where we talk about the intersection of faith and film, and we uh, sort of go to the movies together. We talk about how the messages of movies, or as we're talking about this morning, a whole series, uh, how the messages portrayed in those movies or series really uh, reflect or even contradict uh, gospel themes. Our uh, belief is that every great story ultimately points us to the greatest story, the story of God and of man as we see in the scriptures. Now, uh, you just saw the uh, Rings of Power season one uh, trailer. If you have not watched this season, uh, to be honest, it's so complicated, I'm not sure I can really summarize it all that well. Uh, if you have seen the Lord of the Rings movies or the Hobbit movies, uh, if you have not seen either of those, I'm not saying you're a bad person. Uh, I'm just saying you probably should. And so uh, if you've seen those, then you know some of what's going on here. But here's sort of the, the funny thing, right? Some people uh, don't watch uh, Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit or haven't watched, read the books uh, because they're like, man, it's just too nerdy, which is totally fair. 
there are other people who would say about something like this. So, so this series is based on some of the material and books that uh, Tolkien wrote that um, it's like for the nerds of the nerds, right? People who even like Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit are like, I, I'm not watching that or I'm not reading that stuff because it's like the back history, the prehistory of the whole Lord of the Rings world of Middle Earth. And so it's really for the nerds of the nerds. Uh, doesn't that make you want to watch it now, right? So if you know, I'm one of those. I very much am a fan of Tolkien's world and his work of Middle Earth. And so uh, The Rings of Power, this series is, is really set in sort of the, again, the prehistory of Middle Earth. So if you know Frodo and the Ring, Frodo and the Ring happens in what's called the Third Age of Middle Earth. Uh, some of you are, uh, just stick with me right now, right? So in the Third Age of Middle Earth, this is all set in the First Age of Middle Earth and even before that. So if it were in like in our world, right? Picture Frodo and the ring are like World War II, right? Sort of in modern history, this momentous event. Um, this series is set in like Arthur and Camelot, right? Or even before that, sort of really, I mean, back in ancient history or before sort of prehistory, even a little bit sort of myth and legend. And that's sort of this series. It's the backstory and the history of, of how we got to later on the Lord of the Rings. And it, uh, it's, it's got... Some people who are kind of like the, the ancestors to the hobbits, really. It's got dwarves and elves and scary, weird people. And it's got Sauron. If you remember Sauron, the guy with, you know, the, the burning eye from the original films, uh, that dude is in it. And uh, it's actually one of the strongest parts of the film is you don't know who he is until the very end. His identity is revealed in the very end, and, and he seems like he's good. It's, it's honestly a very biblical theme, this idea that evil can sort of masquerade itself as good. And so Sauron is in it, but the main character and sort of the main storyline is the, the elf that you saw, the lady with the, the golden hair. Her name is Galadriel. She's from the original film. She was in that. She's in this one as well, uh, though a younger version of herself. And as you sort of follow through, the main storyline is this idea of uh, she is out to kill Sauron. Sauron uh, killed her brother, uh, a long time before, and so she made a vow, basically, that she was going to go and she was going to find Sauron and kill him because what happened was Sauron at one point in time was a servant to the original Dark Lord, and when he was defeated, when Morgoth was defeated, Sauron sort of retreated and uh, Galadriel hunts for him, but now it seems like evil is coming back and growing again, and so Galadriel has made it her mission that she's going to make sure this evil never returns. She's going to find Sauron and eradicate evil from the earth. But what happens is along the way, as she is on this relentless quest to find him, she finds that maybe some of the motives of her heart are not all correct. And maybe there's not just some darkness out there, but there's darkness inside of here. She begins to see, right, some hatred inside of herself. And at one point in time, Sauron actually tries to persuade her, right, come with me. You can, you can rule over Middle Earth with me, trying to tempt her in that. And so this is sort of Galadriel's dilemma and what will set sort of the stage for us uh, this morning. Galadriel's dilemma is this sort of twofold. Number one, the, the desire to rid the world of evil. But secondly, having to confront the evil that she sees inside of herself. Yes, she's got this desire, I want to rid the world of evil, but as she's doing that, as she's trying to do that, she's saying, hey, maybe some of that brokenness and that evil is inside of here as well. And as I say that, 
I think we should hear some familiar themes. When we open the scriptures and we read about the history of our world, we see some familiar themes there, which by the way, that's something Tolkien believed was uh, when you read, when you write or you read myth or story, what he called fairy story, you should see reflected in that legend or in that myth, truth. Things about, it's not just a story, it's not just entertainment, it teaches us things. It's true of all entertainment. It's part of why we do this series. We want to be able to, as believers, watch stuff and say, hey, what's the message that's being taught here? And is that true? Now, when we open up the scriptures, here's what we see. We see that God created a wonderful world, wonderful world, but it was infected by evil. And the book of Genesis doesn't tell us how that, where that evil came from. We know it's not of God because God, there's no darkness in him. There's no evil in him, but we do know that God governs the world and he uses, he permits evil and even uses it for his good and sovereign purposes. And so in the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, what happens is that God creates man and woman, Adam and Eve, and he places them in this beautiful paradise garden with one rule. Don't eat from the tree. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, he tells Adam specifically, you will what? You will surely die. For some of us, you know this story. For some of us, this may be brand new. Now, some of us may wonder in hearing that story, why would God do that? Why would God place them in a beautiful paradise garden and tell them, yeah, but don't eat from that tree? Let me flip that around and just say it this way. I understand the question. I've asked the question. And at the same time, God placed these two in a perfect world, in a paradise garden where he says, man, you guys get to rule over this uh, completely. You rule over everything. You are my vice regents, right, who will rule over all the creation I have given to you. And you guys have perfect relationship with one another. The scriptures say they're naked and they're unashamed. Husband and wife together, and they've got perfect relationship with God. He walks with them in the cool of the day, and they're in a perfect world with one rule. Just don't eat from that tree. It's not a bad gig. In fact, it's a wonderful, wonderful gig. And yet, many of us know the story. What happens in Genesis 3, the serpent, this mysterious but clearly evil creature in rebellion against God, comes into the garden and tells the first man and woman they should disobey God. He lies to them and begins to question and sort of plant these seeds of doubt. Did God really say that? You're not going to die. God doesn't love you. He's holding out on you. You can be like God. Maybe some of us hear that and you think, I feel like I've heard those voices before. <laughs> I've heard that voice, those questions before, those comments. It's because you have. I have. The enemy is still at work, and honestly, he's not overly creative. He's effective, but he's not overly creative. He's been saying the same things for a long time. He whispers and he accuses. He tries to get us to question whether God loves us, tries to get you to question whether God is even good. You hear things like God doesn't love you. Those moments when you're down and you're in the darkness and you're in the valley, you hear those thoughts, right? God's not here. He can't hear you or he's holding out on you. He put those rules in your life not to give you joy or to protect you, but to restrain you from being able to fully express yourself. Tries to get you to question God's word and God's promises. Did God really say that? That's not really what he meant. Tries to get us to question the seriousness of sin or to tell us, man, there's really no such thing. Or that if you engage in it, it's not gonna hurt you. You don't need to be fully dependent on God. You can be like God. You could be your own God. That pornography, 
It's not going to numb your soul to spiritual things. It's not really offensive to God or objectifying someone made in God's image. It's a screen. How bad can it be? It's not going to enslave you. It's going to free you and fulfill you and please you. It's free pleasure and free intimacy without any commitment or relationship. As if such a thing existed. And we know, we know deep down those things are not true. And yet we hear that voice and sometimes we listen. We hear the voice, right? That rage you want to give into, it's not going to really hurt the people around you. It won't leave a trail of devastation in relationships. That gossip you want to engage in, it's not that big of a deal. It won't hurt the relationships around you. That flirtation with someone who's not your spouse, it's no big deal. And again, you don't really need daily forgiveness or mercy or dependence on the Spirit of God. You're smart. You're tough. You're hardworking. You can do this on your own. Guys, the reality is the enemy hasn't really changed his tune. He lied then. He lies now. In fact, John chapter 8, Jesus tells us that he's the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He's fluent in lying, which is why it's so important for us as followers of Jesus. And if you're new to this, right, Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. And we want to become fluent in the truth. We need to be in the word of God, knowing our Bibles, being led by the Spirit, becoming fluent in the truth, so that when we hear the lie, we're able to detect it and discern it and say, hey, that doesn't sound right. So what happens is the serpent tells them to disobey God, to eat from the tree so they can be like him. And the tragic irony is they're already like him. They were made in his image. That's what they were created for, was to reflect God to the creation around them. But they tragically believe the serpent. They disobey God. And because of their disobedience, because of their turning away from trusting God and listening to the serpent and trusting self, evil enters into God's perfect world and into the hearts of mankind, and it infects everything. God curses the serpent and Adam and Eve and the world because of it, and there are catastrophic consequences across creation because of what happens right there in Genesis 3. And if the Bible just stopped at Genesis 3, it would be a terrible story. But there's good news, because as you turn the pages of Scripture and you watch the story unfold, what you see is this God who is determined to bless his people and to be faithful to them, even in the midst of their unfaithfulness. Braden, our uh, student and 1825 pastor, taught on this last week at the Delaware campus, and that was kind of the whole theme. He said, man, just God is faithful even when we're faithless. God has this plan, even in the midst of the disobedience and rebellion of his people, he has a plan to rid the world of evil, to bless those people. He's got a plan for making things right. And that plan centers around the sending of his son, Jesus, into the world to redeem and to rescue us through the cross, through his giving his life and defeating the serpent once and for all. And so Jesus comes into the world, and sometimes you might have heard this, right? If you've been in church or walked with Jesus for any length of time, studied the word, maybe this is entirely new to you, but he, Jesus is sometimes called the second Adam. Why? Because his life and his work undo the work of the first Adam. 
Jesus' obedience undoes the disobedience of the first Adam. That's from Romans 5. Adam disobeyed. Jesus obeyed perfectly. Adam was selfish. Jesus selfless. Adam took from a tree and broke the world. Jesus gave his life on a tree and redeemed it and rescued it. The first Adam died. The second Adam died as well, but then rose again on the third day, and he lives forever. The first Adam gave us death. The second Adam gives us new life and eternal life. And one day promises to return and finish what he started when he will once and for all take evil and destroy it, undo the work of the enemy. Death itself will die, and the world will be the way it was intended to be. That's the grand story. That's where we're headed, and that's what God has done and is doing. And it's good news. It's good news for all who long to see the world made new. And all who long, like Galadriel in the film, to see the brokenness of the world healed and to see the evil expelled. But just like Galadriel, there is a problem for you and me. And it has to do with that second issue. First issue, right? I think all of us hear that and say, yes and amen, right? We want to see the evil in the world expelled. The good news is Jesus has a plan for doing that. No evil will go unpunished. The problem is, if we're honest, the evil's not just out there, it's also in here. And if God were just going to say, I'm going to eradicate evil from the world, he's also have to, he would also have to eradicate us. If he were to come and say, I'm going to rid the world of all evil, then he would have to rid the world of us as well. So the problem is, or the question is, what do we do with that? What's the solution to that? And here's where I think the, the message of the film, as far as I can tell, and the message of the gospel seem to di diverge or just tell different stories. In the series, it seems to boil down to this idea that there's a phrase there, you know, they say nothing is evil uh, to start off with, right? It's sort of this idea that there's no real brokenness inside of us. We're good. And then as we grow up and we experience temptation, you know, the society just kind of screws us up. That seems to be the operating idea uh, of the series. Galadriel has, she's good, but she's being tempted to evil. She's got this temptation and she just needs to choose. It kind of boils down to just the exercise of willpower, right? There's darkness and there's light out there. There's the good path and the bad path. And she just needs to exercise some willpower and exercise, exorcise her own demons and choose to be good. Sauron chose to be bad, right? He didn't make the cut. Galadriel just needs to choose to be good. Here's where the gospel tells the, a different story. It's more nuanced than that. And also with a fundamental difference. It's, hey, that evil, the sin inside of us, it's there and it's not something that we can deal with on our own. It's not something that we have the strength to just deal with on our own. We need someone else to help us. We need someone else to save us and we need someone else to heal us. It's not just a matter of, well, I'll just choose to be better. That's not the gospel. We've said it many times, the gospel, the Christian message is not, here's what you need to do, but ultimately, here's what's been done for you. We need to be, I'll give three things, right? And this is not exhaustive, but at least three. It's not just a matter of I'll work harder or I'll be a good person. We need to be forgiven of our sin. We need to be set free from our spiritual slavery, and we need to be empowered to live differently. We need to be forgiven of our sin, set free from our slavery, our spiritual slavery, set free from the power of sin, and then empowered to live differently on a daily basis. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take us through a couple of passages here in Romans. The 
letter to the Romans is Paul's greatest, most in-depth explanation of the gospel, of what it is that Jesus has done for us, what it means, life in Christ and empowered by the Spirit. And so I'm going to take us just through a few verses here and we'll see these things. How did God forgive us? How did he make us right with him? How did he set us free from the power of sin? How does he empower us on a daily basis to live differently? Romans 3, verse 23, 24, and 25, the Apostle Paul says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, there's something that's fundamentally broken inside of us. There's sin in there, and it's not something we simply say, well, I'll just try to do better. The scriptures are really clear. That doesn't work. We need a savior and we need to be not just to live differently in the future, but also to be forgiven of the things that we've done. We need to be made right in our relationship with God. And God has a plan for that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And verse 24, and are justified, that is made right with him, declared righteous by his grace as a gift. Man, this, is, this ought to excite you. Like, as, by his grace, it's unearned favor. It's not about, well, did you do a good job? It's have you trusted Jesus as a gift through the redemption, the buying back that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. It's a big Bible word, means a sacrifice for atonement, a sacrifice to, to make up for to bring forgiveness of sin by his blood. Jesus shed his blood. He died that you might live and be forgiven. And how does all this happen? To be received by faith. You trust him. I was talking with my uh, life group last week and we said, guys, it's almost like you're on, it's, it's like you're on death row. And you know, like, I deserve this, what I've done. This is the punishment. The wages of sin is death. But then someone comes in and says, no, <laughs> you're free. I'm taking your punishment for you. Now go and live. You've been forgiven. You've had this, the slate wiped clean. It changes you. I mean, that would change you. And that's what Christ has done for us, eternally speaking. The wages of sin was death, but the free gift of God is life in Christ Jesus. We're justified by his grace as a gift. This is how, de this is how uh, God deals with evil in the world, but also deals with it in here. This is how he comes and rids the world of evil, but doesn't rid it of you and me, is that he makes us holy and righteous through Christ. The justice of God, this is how God can be just and merciful at the same time. The justice of God falls on Jesus so that the mercy of God might fall on you and me. And that's such a big deal. <laughs> The justice of God falls on Jesus so that the mercy of God might fall on you and me. Jesus comes as a sacrifice in our place so that God is and can be just because he is just. He punishes sin. We, we don't want a world where God just shoulder shrugs at sin and says, you know, it's no big deal. I forgive you. We go, where's the justice in that? But that's not what he does. He pays Christ instead of you and me. He punishes him instead of you and me. And at the cross, Jesus takes the punishment for sin on himself, death, separation from God, so that you and I might receive his mercy by grace through faith. You see, we want, we want a God deep down 
We don't like talking about it, but we want a God who judges sin. We just don't want him to judge our sin. We want him to make things right, but we kind of say like, could you overlook the things I've done wrong? No, he can't. But he doesn't overlook them. He pays for it himself through the life and death of his son, given as a propitiation for sin to be received by faith. We are forgiven. Now, not just forgiven, but then also set free. Set free from the power of sin. Look at Romans 6, verses 3 through 7. The context here is that Paul has told them, right, we're under grace and grace is applied where sin is. And so people begin to begin, kind of ask, like, well, okay, if, if grace comes where sin is, should we just sin more so that we get more grace? And Paul says, no, that's not all this. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make sense for the person set free. We've got a new identity in Christ. And this is how he says it. Do you not know, verse 3, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? This is how we deal with the evil. This is how God deals with the evil inside of us. Lord, how do I become a new person? By becoming an actual new person, by putting the old person to death so that that sin and evil doesn't have a hold on your life anymore. We're baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Listen to what Paul is saying here. He summarizes it in Galatians 2.20 when he says, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He's saying, look, if you're a believer, when you trusted Jesus with your life, when you take the step of baptism, that symbolizes, right? When you go under the water, the old you has been put to death. You're not the same person anymore. That old you who was enslaved to the former passions and desires and that evil, it's been crucified with Christ. And then when you come out, it represents, man, you've been raised to new life with him. You're united with him in a resurrection like his one day completely, but even now experiencing newness of life in Jesus. Listen, if you're a Christian, this should excite you. I mean, you should hear this and go, that's my story. Praise God, I'm not, once, I'm not who I once was. And I'm no longer enslaved to sin. That's how we deal with the evil inside, is it's put to death in Christ, and we are made new, forgiven, and set free from spiritual slavery. And if you're listening to this right now, and you're like, I mean, I'm a Christian, but Kale, I've heard this information before. Maybe that's the problem is it's maybe just information for you. And hearing the same information can get kind of boring. But when it represents transformation, you don't tire of hearing of that. You don't tire of hearing the story of how God set you free, forgave you, and saved you, and changed your eternity. So for some of us listening today, that's a question we need to be asking ourselves is, God, does this just represent information, head knowledge for me? Or have I experienced this at a soul level? Do I know him? And have I experienced forgiveness and freedom from sin by being united with Christ in a death like his, united with him in a resurrection like his? And if you're here today, or you're listening right now and you're not a Christian, 
Maybe God has brought you to the place where you're saying, I don't know about all this, but I know I don't want to live the same way I'm living. I can't. I don't want to go on like this. And I've tried everything, right? I've tried everything. I, I see the brokenness, not just out there, but in here. And I've tried everything and I don't know how to fix it. Here's the, I have bad news and good news, okay? Got bad news for you and good news for you. Bad news, I don't know of a way, humanly speaking, that you fix it. Good news, Jesus can. The good news is that Christ has come and everything I just read is relevant for you. God made a way. God has provided his son as a sacrifice for your sin to reconcile you to the God to whom you're accountable, to wipe the slate clean and to make you a new person. And that can become effective for you today. You can bow your head right now. Stop listening to me and say, God, I need new life in you through Jesus. And you can by faith, by grace, through faith, be united with him today in a death like his so that you can be united with him in a resurrection like his. You can be set free from your slavery to sin today. You can be forgiven and start that relationship with him. That can happen for you today. Because Christ, I said it earlier, Christianity is not about, hey, here's what you need to do, but what's been done for you. And there really is freedom in Christ. I remember a man from my uh, childhood church, I'll call him John. John was one of the happiest men I've ever met. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure he had his days like everyone else. But what I remember as a kid is, I just remember he was joyful. He was always smiling seemed ridiculously joyful. And he was uh, married, had two adopted kids, and it was, only, it was only later that I found out that part of his story was decades earlier, he was completely immersed in sin. And he got to the point where he said, Lord, I'd rather die than keep living this way. I would rather die than go another day like this. And Jesus set him free. He cried out to Jesus and Jesus set him free. If that's where you are today, God, I'd rather die than keep living like this. Then reach out to Jesus. Reach out to a Christian friend, a brother, a sister. Ask him to pray with you, for you. Reach out to us. We'd love to do that. Reach out to the Lord and experience healing and freedom and forgiveness from sin. And then number three, be empowered to live differently. Because again, once, once again, in, in the series, it seems like it's mostly about just sort of willpower. Like you just got to make a decision, right? Choose the good path or the bad path. And listen, there is some truth to that. But I find it so encouraging that in the Christian life, we are not alone in this. We have a helper. So listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, as he talks about, right, living this new life in Christ. He says, for if you... Live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And there's this tension in that passage there, right? So, so on the one hand, like, well, does it matter what we do? Yeah, he says, right, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you and I have choices to make. 
We do have to exercise, right, choice. And those choices matter. We make choices every day. We choose to get up earlier, stay up late, to spend time with God and his word and in prayer. We choose to put our mind back on the Lord when we notice it begin to drift to other things. We choose the entertainment we consume and what voices we're going to give the most influence in our lives. We choose what habits we form that will either help us or hurt us in our pursuit of Christ. We choose what to do with our time and the money and the giftings and talents that God has entrusted to us. There are so many choices we make every day to either put to death the deeds of the body, say no to sin, that we might live to and through or for Christ or not. But we're not alone in it. And it's not just all up to us. It's by the Spirit. The Apostle Paul says, if you, by the Spirit, it's not just willpower, we're not alone in this. God doesn't save us, set us free from sin, and then say, hey, good luck. I'll see you when you die. Hope it goes well. Some of you are probably going to make the cut. Some of you might screw it up again. No, it's by the Spirit. Jesus living inside of us by His Spirit, giving us the power to do what we cannot do on your own. And I don't know about you, that is such an encouragement to me as I fight for holiness and joy in my own life. I am not alone. I can appeal to the Father on the basis of what the Son has done, and I know that His Spirit is living inside of me. And God did the rescuing, and He will continue working in the sanctification, making me and you look more and and be more and more like Jesus. He will finish what He started. Yes, we have choices to make, but it's Christ in us, the power of the Spirit, and there's always, always, always grace and help in time of need. Praise God. Let me close with this. Sometimes in this series and in the Lord of the Rings films and in the Lord of the Rings books, just in Middle Earth in general, one of the things that's very pervasive is sort of the the presence and the power of evil. Sauron or evil in general can almost feel overwhelmingly powerful at times. And it seems oftentimes like the evil is winning. The darkness is winning. And I know sometimes it can feel like that for us too in our world. Sometimes it can seem or feel like the serpent is too strong or that he's winning in our lives or in the world at large. And I just want to close this time out by saying and reminding us that that is not the case. Satan is God's enemy, not his equal. Satan is God's enemy, but not his equal. He is not winning. He will not win. Jesus has come, and at the cross, he put the serpent to open shame and won the decisive victory. And one day when he returns, he will finish what he started. He will deal with the final death blow, and all brokenness will be healed, and all evil expelled, and the world will be the way it was intended to be under the rule of its good king, and we will be back in the garden with the Father all of us who have trusted Christ with his life. And we'll be able to say with Samwise Gamgee, Sam at the end of the Lord of the Rings, the return of the king, as he's discovering all that has happened and that Gandalf is alive, that he's still alive. And he says to Gandalf, is everything sad going to come untrue? The answer to that is yes and amen, in and through Christ. So if you've not trusted Christ, I beg you, plead with you, trust him today. And in him find forgiveness and freedom and the power to live differently for his glory. And if you know Christ, don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. Fight the good fight. 
and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made a way not just to deal with evil out there, but to cleanse us of the evil in here. God, thank you for salvation. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for the power to live differently. And God, I pray over all those who are listening today who know you and who love you, that God, we'd be encouraged by today and compelled to go share this message with others, with those in our workplaces, in our families, in our friend groups, in the classroom, on the athletic fields, to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to share with others what Christ has done. God, I pray for those listening today who, when I said this is just information, that struck a chord. That God, some are listening going, but I've called myself a Christian my whole life, but honestly, this does not affect the way I live. And I've never experienced that freedom and forgiveness for myself. God, I pray that today would be the day. And Father, for those who have never heard, who are listening now, who have never stepped into a relationship with Jesus, once again, I pray that today would be the day where they say to you, Jesus, I need new life in you. I need forgiveness of my sin. And today they would stop listening to the serpent and stop trusting self, and they would trust you, the Savior. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.